0: welcome to the one rental at a time podcast this is your host michael zuber this is the show where we interview guests involved in the real estate business from experts to newbies wholesalers flippers buy and hold apartments commercial notes hard money Airbnb, mobile homes, it doesn't matter. If you're involved in the business, we want to talk to you. This show relies on referrals and recommendations from our listeners. If you know someone we should talk to, please make a recommendation. As the author of One Rental at a Time, The Journey to Financial Freedom, I'm dedicated to helping you take your first or your next step on your real estate journey. But I need your help. We need to spread the message of One Rental at a Time Works please share this podcast, my YouTube channel, and of course my book, all called One Rental at a Time. Thanks, and let's start the show. Hey everyone, thanks for watching. And I have a special guest for you today. I actually have someone who's an OG on BiggerPockets, somebody that I uh, collaborated with way back in like 2007. We both were uh, active members on BiggerPockets, uh, approved bloggers if I remember correctly. And uh, let's bring Will Bernard to the show. How are you doing this morning, Will? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. It's it's always fun. I just I just got back into Bigger Pockets after about uh, five or six year hiatus, and to see what's going on now versus what was going on when you and I started, it's uh, it's quite impressive.
1: Absolutely, I mean that's to say the least,
0: right? <laughs> what uh, What Josh Dorkin and Brandon Turner and that whole whole team are doing out there are uh, are helping people every day, and and to see really to see Josh's vision come to life. I remember having conversations with Josh. I remember doing that first Denver event as a as a speaker, and to hear him talk about what he was struggling to get done, and to see it. I don't know. Out and existed and just taking off is 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 quite fun. So, uh, and you've and you've stuck with it all this time. It looks like
1: all this time. I mean, I've I go on little hiatus. Hiatuses. I uh, you know I get busy with things. You know, yeah. with the schedule of work and life and such. But uh, I'm I, I try and stay active. I'm on it at least once a week at, at minimum. Back in the day, I was on probably four or five hours a day just yeah. to answering questions and. Meeting people and great right, because not, not only do you learn from Bigger Pockets and all the information that's out there, I've developed some great friendships over the years from members of Bigger Pockets.
0: Yeah, that's probably um, uh, something that's not well understood by most folks. A lot of people that that just go to Bigger Pockets and they get all excited for a couple of days, dive in, watch all the podcasts, read the blogs, and then they disappear. They miss that. Deal uh, making aspect of relationship building, the networking that Bigger Pockets really offers. Would you agree?
1: I couldn't agree more. I, I, I preach it all the time. It's this business, it's relationship, relationship, relationship. You, you've heard the same location, location, location for real estate, and it's even more so relationships, relationships,
0: relationships. Yeah, so let's, let's uh, rewind the clock back to 2007. I remember you as a buy and hold out of state investor. Is, is my memory right?
1: That is accurate. That was my very first investment out of state in Texas.
0: So, uh, and obviously that was, whew, God, can you believe it's been a decade? Wow. <laughs>
1: uh, no, you're, you're dating us. Dude. Uh-huh. Back there.
0: <laughs> so why don't you kind of walk through the last decade or so? So you start being a buy and hold out of state investor. Actually, first you live in Southern California, right? Why don't you introduce yourself, who you are, what you do today, and then we'll, we'll, we'll play with the clock a little bit.
1: Okay. Well, I, uh, at the age of 19, I was self-employed. I started my own offset printing business, and I did that for a little over a decade. And uh, over the course of doing that, I had an a interest in real estate. I just didn't know how to get started. I started reading some books, researching. Uh, and you know, back then, online was kind of new from you know AOL dial-up back in 2000. <laughs> and, I, and I'm out there looking at stuff. So I, I go out looking at houses, and my idea was buy a house that needed to be fixed up. I'd live there. I'd fix it up. And then I'd sell it and buy a bigger house and step and repeat the process. Well, lo and behold, I didn't realize that, but that was kind of a strategy back in the day. Anyhow, I didn't know how to get started, and finally I went to this event. It was in 2004. It was huge at the LA Convention Center full of these gurus who were just uh, fleecing these poor, unsuspecting gals and guys of their hard-earned cash. And uh, I I fell victim to one of those, but… The good thing about it was because I'm an entrepreneur, because I'm self-motivated, I was able to succeed because I didn't give up. And I I knew what I wanted, so I just kept at it. Finally, I I made the uh, decision to pull forward, and I bought my first investment property uh, with a financial partner in Texas with a buy and hold investment. Then I bought number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and started building up a portfolio out there. From there, I got into land development where I was buying infill lots, um, and doing spec build on either single family or duplex homes. Then I got a little bit bigger and started building four plexes. And then from there, I got into larger development projects, right by four or five acre parcels and subdivide them up. And then I would either go vertical with that or sell them off. Then the crash hit in <laughs> 09. And, and it was like, wow, here's this. Here, well, not a, it happened in 07 and 08. But in '09, I realized, hey, right in my own backyard, I've got this incredible, incredible opportunity to flip houses. So I sold most of my assets in Texas. And, of course, I didn't take a huge bath because Texas doesn't go up and down as much as California, New York, Florida, uh, yeah. Las Vegas, et cetera. So I, I didn't take a big hit, but I was able to recoup all of my losses on one flip here in L.A. So in '09, I did my very first flip in L.A. And that was my first intentional flip. I did have a flip in uh, San Antonio. That was unintentional. At any rate, I I started doing flips after flip after flip. And I got to where I was doing three, four, five at a time. And then I started building up into the higher price points because the competition was getting more and more fierce as time went on. And so I started doing your I started off with a three hundred thousand dollar house, which back then is probably an eight nine hundred thousand dollar house here today. Cool. But uh, I did that, and then I started getting into eight hundred to a million, and I started getting into the multi million dollar projects. And now I'm back to where I'm doing uh, single family, kind of entry level homes, but they're high end entry level homes in higher end markets: Studio City, Sherman Oaks, uh, in the San Fernando Valley, Atwater Village, down by Dodger Stadium. And these markets tend to have high price per square foot where I can buy an existing house, knock it down and build a new one and still make a profit.
0: Wow, that's quite the evolution. You go from buying cash flow, buy and hold Texas properties, you know, surviving the crash. Then you come, then you stay local. You start flipping homes in SoCal. You go up the stack, right? You go from the entry level to seven figures. And now it's, now you're going, you know, back to affordable sort of ground up, you know, construction. Um, That's, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. And when you say affordable, I'm talking my 2000 to 3000 square foot homes that I'm building. New construction are going from 1.3 to $2 million.
0: That's (laughs) entry level. (laughs) We just lost half the world. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) But let's put that in perspective, like Studio City. The the median price in Studio City probably is two two point two something like that.
1: Uh, I don't know if the median is that high. Your standard like old nineteen fifties original home, three bedroom, two bath, thirteen hundred square foot, is selling from eight hundred to a million.
0: Okay, so the stuff that's, and, and 60 that needs, years that's
1: old. way dated, super yeah. dated, hasn't been updated at all, needs a lot of work, and they're they're getting almost a million dollars.
0: Wow, so for sixty-year-old stuff, you're spending seven figures. Um, just is about. there any? Yeah, is there any new developers like track homes going up in Studio City? Or is it just, just no land?
1: Not track homes, but uh, what there are uh, going up are a lot of apartment complexes.
0: Brand ah. New,
1: modern, contemporary design. Uh, practically on every one of these main streets now, you drive up and down Sherman Oaks, Studio City, Van Nuys, uh, Encino. There are. Apartment building after apartment building. Some of them are ground up, brand new. From from lot to others, they've repositioned an existing uh, apartment building and, and modernized it. And then others, they've just knocked down the old one and built a new
0: one. Wow, very cool. All right, so we'll get into that in a minute. I want to I want to go back to the the Texas journey first, just so we can walk a timeline together. Uh, so what would you what would you advise? Because we have a, we both know, again, watching Bigger Pockets today, that there's a lot of west coast east coast money looking at the central including texas and the south what what would you advise you know these i'll just call them out of state investors that think they can get you know the nice returns in the central but you know th- th- we obviously know property management and all those extra things that people don't think about what kind of advice would you give them if they're really thinking about doing that
1: if you're thinking of investing out of state where you've got to get on a plane to, to get to your investment property Uh, Number one, you have to have a team and a team you can trust. And that's not uh, any easy task to say. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you must put your boots on the ground. Don't think you're going to just, okay, see something on the internet, uh, buy from a turnkey provider or something and say, let me invest in this. And uh, often I'm running and I've got my cash flow. Absolutely not. Invest the time. Get your butt out there land on the ground walk the the neighborhoods that you intend to invest in and this is prior to doing your paper due diligence by the way you want to invest in an area then you need to do your due diligence on that what's the population growth what's the employment reach what are the vacancy rates what's the crime reports school uh, ratings all of these things because they make a big difference uh, to your success or your failure
0: yeah i'm so glad you say that i i kind of push that idea and, and some people. I don't know whether they want the easy button or they think there's an easy button. They see some turnkey provider present somewhere and they're like, yep, I'm going there. And you know, that is, that's like playing roulette. I mean, it's just bad.
1: Yeah. It's rolling the dice.
0: Yeah. No kidding. So, and again, I, I, the other thing you, you sort of mentioned again, I've seen this in you for well over a decade now is you're very logical. You do the research, you do all of that. Uh, I've often said, a great turnkey provider can rip you off in a great market. I'm sorry. A bad turnkey provider can rip you off in a great market, but a great turnkey provider can make a bad market good, right? If they're willing to do the work, would you agree with that kind of trade-off? Uh,
1: yeah, for the most part, definitely the first, the second one, you know, it's not just the, the market. It's mm-hmm. the good turnkey provider is going to, they're going to have their own due diligence. They're mm-hmm. going to have their, uh, systems in place, they're going to have their team members, and if they care about their reputation, yeah, then they're going to do a good job for you. Unfortunately, there's a lot of them out there that have given, you know, the whole barrel of apples a <laughs> bad name, and it's and, and it's just it's a few apples, it's not the whole barrel.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And then the last thing sort of on this topic is, and then we I want to really get to the point where we, you come back to California. Not many people do that, right? They start in California, they go out, you, right. you start out and come back. Uh, but again, about out of state, um, you know, is it is it everything that's cracked up to be? Or do you think more people should look in their backyards for ways to do something as opposed to, to because I think most people look out of state because the barrier to entry is perceived to be so low and they just, they don't look locally. They just, they don't even think about it. Would you agree or what do you think?
1: Well, there's, there's two aspects to that. There's the barrier of entry. So you can buy a house uh, for a hundred and something thousand dollars in the Midwest, which over here is going to cost you 700,000. Yeah. That that barrier to entry is much more appetizing to to view that. Uh, The second thing is most of the turnkey providers and most of the cash flow properties are in the Midwest or in the Carolinas or, or even up north. Uh, You got your Indianapolis is is, is a huge uh, investment uh, buy and hold area. I I think that it's it's not just the barrier of entry of price though, but Mm -hmm. cash flow. So if you're a cash flow investor and you're looking to replace your income, you wanna quit your W2 job, then you need income, right? Mm -hmm. And you can get income from flipping houses, of course, but the second you stop flipping, your income stops. If you buy and hold as long as you have tenants and they're paying your rent. You've got monthly cash flow coming in whether you're sipping on a mai tai or whether you're working in an office, right? Yeah. So there's that. So it's what kind of investor are you, first and foremost? And you need to decide which which way do I want to go. Yeah. One of the biggest mistakes I made earlier on in my career is I saw I got the shiny object syndrome. Yeah. Right? So I, I saw notes and I saw buy and hold and I saw flipping and I and I. Saw REOs and all this stuff. I'm like, wow, all this looks great. I want to do that. oh and I want to do that. And I didn't start really taking off in my career until I focused on that one thing and, and just learned it well and did it well. And I didn't start out doing it well. Right. I may have gotten lucky because of the times. You know, I, I will absolutely admit I'm no genius here. I'm a college dropout. You know, for God's sake. So, uh, but if you're persistent and you're diligent in your efforts and there is no quit in you then anyone can accomplish anything if you have those types of uh, qualities.
0: That's awesome. So let's, uh, let's fast forward a little bit in the timeline to 2009. If I remember kind of the story, you, uh, you suffered at least a little loss in Texas when you repositioned your equity uh, but then you moved into flipping in, in SoCal. So let's talk about that first flip where you made up all those losses. Do you remember what it was, you know, kind of how long it took all the numbers?
1: Uh, I think my purchase was in the low threes. I want to say three hundred ten, three hundred fifteen in that area. Okay. I put uh, what was it? Maybe seventy-five to ninety thousand dollars, which is a pretty heavy rehab number back in those days. Okay. Uh, most of my average rehabs were probably in the forty to fifty. So my first one was a complete gut. I even moved some walls, opened mm. it up. It was a pool home, and uh, I repositioned. Didn't add any square footage. Utilized what was there. But I relayed it out and then decked it out with nice new finishes from, I mean, everything was gutted almost to the studs. I left a lot of drywall up. A lot of it was down to the studs. And uh, I ended up making $90,000 profit on that flip. Wow. And I did it in about six months. Okay. So it was a pretty quick flip. And the beauty was back in 2009, if you remember, (laughs) the feds were giving the first time homebuyers
0: The $8,000 credit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And there were people standing in
0: line <laughs> to get
1: that. And and there was nothing on the market except REOs, right? Yes. And these REOs, you couldn't get financing on yep.
0: them because I remember. they were
1: financeable. <laughs> so it was the best of both worlds for me. Easy to find an acquisition because it was REOs galore. And easy to sell it because there was nothing yeah. on the only, market. Only clean
0: thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was the best
1: of both worlds. So. That one turned out really well. I, by the way, I funded that entire deal 100%. That's acquisition plus rehab and holding costs because I really didn't have a dime in my name with taking the loss in Texas and basically kind of revamping and starting the business all over. And uh, it, it ended up turning out well. And then I did number two, number three, number
0: four. So just to make sure, that first flip, I think you were trying. Did you? You were saying you funded that entirely with private money or your money? Correct. Right. Private okay. money.
1: All private money. All borrowed.
0: So let's just call it four hundred grand. Three hundred and ten purchase, ninety k repairs was all private money. That's correct. Very and cool. One
1: of those investors, if I'm not mistaken, was somebody I met right here on
0: BiggerPockets. Yeah, BiggerPockets. I'm telling you, people, people come to BiggerPockets. They get all enamored with the with the content and the learning because it's great stuff. But it is the relationship. Stay engaged, like you say, go weekly, whatever it is. Uh, and you'll be amazed by what happens. So I'm guessing you're you're a simple man like me and you figure out this first flip and you go, hey, some is good, more is better. Uh, and you just, you go to number two and number three and it's just kind of that good time. Damn straight.
1: Damn straight. <laughs> just kept plugging away. It's like, hey, it's, it's like the needle in the arm. You get that $90,000 profit and you're like, wow, I want to do this again and again and again. Of course, right. they don't all turn out that
0: way. Yeah. So I've, I've taken my lumps and
1: I'm happy to share those as well. It's not all, you know, roses.
0: Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about two things and then we'll get to what you're doing today. So why don't we talk about the first property you sold for over seven figures? Do you remember that the first million dollar? Vividly. Well, let's talk about that. Okay.
1: So that was a very complicated process. It was an REO property, okay, which means phone Yep. And uh, it was about a seven acre parcel in total. And it was divided up into about I don't know, eight or nine different uh, APN numbers. Okay. And the, the it had two levels. So the top level was the the uh, estate home and this huge driveway and the pool and the tennis court. Oh, and man. then down below it had uh, horse stables and a running area and arenas wow. and everything else. And a river running through the property, <laughs> a bridge going over the river. Absolutely gorgeous. A place where you could literally – hold, uh, uh, you know, weddings and wow. such. It was that, that gorgeous. So I, they, they had it on
0: the market and we negotiated the price down to 1.1 $1. $1 million. This was what year? Around. Sorry. This
1: was in like 2012.
0: Okay. All ish. right. So, so just coming out. Okay. It was
1: just the yeah, 11 or 12. And I think the original ask was one for, it. we negotiated a contract price down to one month. Okay. So I go start doing my investigations and my due diligence, as you do on every property, and we uncovered that the bank didn't foreclose. When they foreclosed on the property, they only foreclosed on the upper portion of the property, <gasps> which was the house. They didn't include in their deed of trust and their notes and everything else, all the APNs down below. So when they foreclosed, they didn't technically foreclose on those lots. Therefore, they didn't own them. Yeah. So they couldn't sell them to me. Yet during my due diligence period, they gave me the key to access the guest house down below where the horse stable people would stay, yeah. and uh, and all of this was not their property. Wow. So I went back to them and said, hey, guys, you don't own this. I'm not paying you $1.1 million when you can only deliver me the house and, and this. I was buying it all. They're like, no, you either, you either close or, or walk away. I said, oh, hell no. So I got an attorney and and went after them for false advertising and all the other legal mumbo jumbo, and uh, we ended up settling out of court and ended up getting it for just over $800,000. And then I went back, located the owner who was foreclosed on, who passed go and collected $200 and got all these lots basically free and clear and bought them from him, put the property back together and all in all told i ended up with my basically 1.1 $1. $1 million dollar purchase for all the lots
0: okay all right so you, so you get it that took um what 6 months to to put it back oh, together no no more like 18 or 20 months it oh was my long, gosh long battle
1: okay. it was oh my god it was sleepless nights and and stress and but i just kept plugging away plugging away i was was not going to give up because this was a one of those once-in-a-lifetime kind of opportunities right. for me at the time, right. and so I just kept plugging away, and it finally, finally came to fruition, and it was not easy, but then I was left with, okay, I've got this whole property, and it was just down to the studs. The only thing left on this house were, I mean, you can see right through the house when you walked wow. up to it. You could, they had the roof on it, which was still in good shape, and the foundation was uh, Pretty okay. The rest of it was just down to the studs, and I gutted most of that and just repositioned the whole property. It was over seven thousand square foot home. Uh, Redid the pool, uh, built in a spa inside the pool, huge deck overlooking this gorgeous view of the horse property below, and just repositioned the whole property and ended up selling it for just under four million. And when it was all said and done, cleared about a million
0: dollars. Well, that doesn't suck. That does
1: not suck. No, not at all.
0: <laughs> so I am curious the first 20 months when you sort of put it together, I, I'm guessing you only had earnest money tied up and I guess attorney fees and stuff. Correct. Earnest money was what? 10, 15, 20 grand.
1: Oh, that I don't remember.
0: Not, not much days. though. Uh, no,
1: on a, on a 1.1, they probably asked for about 3%. All
0: right. So 30,000, call it, even call it 50 grand. So you were, yeah, you were into it 50 grand finally easily. put it together. Okay. Gotcha. Wow. And and then again, to net. And the other thing that helped you, obviously, in hindsight, is 2012 to 2014, the market was coming back. So you had, again, timing, right? Timing right. is good. Uh, mm-hmm. That was helpful. What, I'm curious, now that you sit here in 2019, what do you think that place is worth? Because it's been a good run.
1: It has. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure that that did uh, retrade already, and it oh, wow. resold for uh, the low fours. I'd have to look it up, but I, it was like four two or something. I think I sold for three eight. Ended up selling for about four two, um, maybe a few years back. What it is right now today? I, if I had to guess, maybe four and a half. All right. So I would. Those I properties didn't appreciate as much as your six, seven, eight hundred thousand.
0: Right. Okay. All right. I thought it might have been like five or six million, but you're right. Right. It's kind of that unicorn, that really unique property. So you, you, you squeezed most of it out. So good for you.
1: I, I got most of the equity out of that property. Yes.
0: Good for you. Wow. Uh, so let's talk about one of the one of the lumps you called it. Right? Why don't we talk about a. And ouch that we had uh, during this process, if you don't mind.
1: Sure. Um, so I can give you two of them. One of them, af- after doing that project, uh, you know I'm a genius now, right? I just made a million dollars <laughs> on a single family house. so let's go do this again. Yeah. And, and, and let's do three at a time, right? That's, <laughs> that's who I am. So now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to juggle three multi-million dollar flip projects with 20 to 30,000 dollars a month in holding costs going out. That was a, a really fun time trying to sleep at night oh. anyways uh one of the projects you know it was on a septic system and the septic system had failed and I, I knew this going in so i knew i was putting in a new septic system and i had all that in my budget for my rehab the problem was is as we went to go do this with the county uh we had to dig test pits and we hit groundwater and then i hit groundwater again and everywhere we went to go down there's groundwater so there's like a river running through underneath this house I was literally screwed. I couldn't get the proper system going. So I went through a year and a half of trying to resolve the septic system and the County was no help. They just like figured out, they wouldn't let me do anything I wanted to do. There was a river down below the property there as well. Same river from the other house actually ran. This one was maybe 10 doors down from the other million dollar flip I did. And uh, so I ran into some major problems, some major holding costs, Long story short, I had to go through with an easement with my neighbor into the next property where there was a sewer connection. And I had to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a sewer line connected from this house to the window cross to my neighbors to get a, a livable house because I can't sell without a, a, yeah. or a sewer system, right? So that, all of those holding costs and all that added expense ended up costing me, and I lost about six figures on that one. Wow, and uh, anyway, it was just one of those things that was uh, out of my control. Could not have foreseen something like yeah.
0: that. Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, I, I really got screwed by the county. It's a long story in in that, and yeah. we don't have time for that. But that was uh, it was a painful process.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, First, there's. <clears throat> go ahead. Sorry. You can go ahead and I'll I was going to say the there's answer. there's some things that happen in in flips or buy and hold or anything in real estate. That no matter how good you are, how experienced, you just can't foresee. I.e., a river, right, running under your a property when you need to replace a, a septic system. So, um, you know that that could really that can really hurt, right? Losing six figures hurts. There's nothing, and there's nothing you could have done to prep for it. It's not like you missed something, right? You didn't miss, yeah. miss a box. Yeah,
1: that was exactly. It, I did all of my due diligence. So there Was not, nothing more I could do. And again, the county really put the screws to me because they actually screwed up way years back and didn't have proper things in place and, and then used my situation to fix their. Thing.
0: Gotta love that. So what, what's, the, what's the second one you were talking about?
1: So the second one was a flip uh, that was ongoing currently with this one, as well as a third one. Oh wow. And this one was in Beverly Hills. Ooh. And... I had a just fantastic, what I thought was a fantastic property. I did a bang-up job on it. It was beautiful, gorgeous views, uh, totally repositioned the property from this old, just dump piece of junk house and turned it into a modern, elaborate, just oasis. And I hit my rehab numbers pretty well, so I didn't go over budget. I think I went over like forty grand on a $450,000 rehab, so that's well within reason. No, yeah. not bad. My exit price, I was expecting two point nine. I ended up selling it for two, five, seven, five. So that was a huge hit there that yeah. went all the profit. Right. And then I ended up holding it for an extra like 15 months and at almost $30,000 a month in holding costs, I ended up losing a quarter million dollars on that project and was one of the very was was the only project and the first project where I took a hard money loan, and not to say that hard money loans are bad. I'm, I'm not saying that. Just coincidentally, this house I took a hard money loan on, and then I had private money uh, investors in second position behind it. Uh. But when it came time to close on that property, there was not enough, uh, you know, not enough coin to pay everyone off. But uh, how I run my deals and how I've always run my deals from day one is I sign on the dotted line. William Bernard signs personal guarantee because I, I don't want any investor who's investing in one of my projects as a dead investor yes. to lose a dime. And I am very prideful in my reputation. And I think that is what sets me apart from others. Absolutely. Nobody will lose money with me. So I said, okay, I promised to pay you. Uh, it basically ended up being like a short sale. They just rolled the thing over. I flipped the next property the next property, made payments to them, got them all paid off. And the entire time their clock was still ticking, so they were earning interest on their money anyways. They didn't lose a dime, and their money was working 24-7 without ever stopping.
0: Yeah, that's that just goes, again, to who you are and your reputation. And, again, I've seen this in you way, since way back in 07. That's just who you are. And here's, here's one statement. I, I don't think – there's a lot of people doing syndications today, uh, which is like private money for bigger stuff. Uh, and, uh, we're going to find out about general partners here in about five years when they, when they can't pay people off as promised. And I think some of them are going to take haircuts, which is, which is pretty bad. Um, yeah. So anyways, with those
1: syndications, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of apartment buildings and that's all the frenzy right now. And I just think that it's, it's overbought and, and some of these people are going to get hurt and I just, they're, they're going on some very thin margins now, granted, there, there's a great, that's a great space, apartment buildings. Mm-hmm. I, I really think that if you buy right and you're buying in the right area and you're not over leveraged, you can do very, very well in that market space.
0: Yeah. And again, so th- I've actually been, I'm actually telling people this, the market for apartments today is very much like single family homes in 06, Everybody wanted some, more was better. Lending was, you know, in in single family homes, it was obviously residential. So the banks had to take the haircuts when assets came back. Today, commercial lending, as you know, is is more rigid. And the first position at 60% LTV is going to be fine. But the LPs who are the equity piece, they're going to have haircuts or have 10 year long holds uh, in many cases. So anyways, Let, so let's be prepared to stay in there. Yeah, that's right. Be prepared. Right? It's, it's not going to be a five-year value add. You know, There's so many people saying they found a B-class property or a, a C-class property, in a B-class neighborhood. They're just lying, right? They're all priced for perfection. It's just crazy. But I don't want to talk about that. That's not this show. Let's right, talk right, about right. what you're doing now because you're doing so many big things now. You have so many things going on in your services. How do you want to break this apart for folks if they're in Southern California? How can they find out what you're doing and, and be a part of that?
1: Okay, so I have a a number of different ways that they can get involved. A, they can invest in any one of my projects. They can come and visit my projects. In fact, after this podcast, I'm meeting somebody at one of my projects to show them around and and answer some of his questions. But uh, they can invest in my projects as a private money investor. Uh, One of the other things that I do now is I'm not just developing for myself but also for clients. So if you're in the Southern California market and you're wanting to do what I do or you're already doing it, but you want to add to your team, maybe somebody with the experience, uh, what I bring to the table is uh, I can find you the acquisition and help you analyze it and make sure it's a good deal for you to take it down. And then from there, we do all the architectural design, structural engineering, and design the perfect house to build. And then from there, we... um, we do all the contracting work and, uh, and project management and take it from start to finish to your final, get your CFO from the city. And then from there, we can help you uh, dispose of it from our uh, real estate agency services as well. So from basically from start to finish, I can take any developer or would be wanting to be a developer all the way from start to finish.
0: Very cool. So how, how would they go look you up? Is there a website, Facebook page? You know How, how can people see all this great stuff you're doing?
1: Well, they can get me on my website, which is uh, www.bernardenterprises.com. That's B-A-R-N-A-R-D, enterprises spelled out in plural.com. And you can also email me at info at Bernardenterprises.com.
0: And team, I would definitely reach out to him. If, if you've been following Bigger Pockets, you can go back and look at his track record. He's got well over a decade of experience of helping people. He talks about the good and bad. Uh, I can tell you first and foremost, if the person you're talking to and you're looking to be a private investor for, only tells you about the good stories, run away. Um, you know, that's just not how real estate plays. You can have a river going under your house and the city or county can screw you. Uh, it happens to all of us. Uh, so realize that uh, he is a man of his word and he's been helping people for a long, long time. Any, any last things you want to highlight about what you're doing or closing thoughts, Will?
1: Uh, I would say uh, if you're investing in the Southern California market or really anywhere in the country, but I I know Southern California the best, of course, I'd be very careful. I I feel like we're at a time where the price points are so high. I can't identify. uh, I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't identify that we're exactly at the top of the market. I can't see it going too much further because of the price points. Uh, Just the income levels aren't going to – they are going to have to follow and increase. In order for people to have the affordability indexes, it's, it's it's impressive. So yeah. be very careful there. Uh, do your due diligence, underwrite project uh, with some safety moving yeah. forward, and uh, battle our number one enemy—that's time. Get in and get out as fast as you can.
0: Yeah, very well said. I I've told people a lot that I think today 19 feels a lot like 06, and if you look at the charts, 06 to 07, at least mid 07 was still relatively okay, right? You still had some appreciation. But it's much it's much better to get out early uh, than to stay late, right? You want to be the guy that leaves the party at ten, not at one a.m.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, so very cool. Well, I, I appreciate you giving me the time. Thanks for being an OG on Bigger Pockets, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, I look forward to everything you're doing, man. Thank you very much. All right, thanks for having me. You got it. Take
1: care. Okay, take care.